Holy Father in heaven, glory be unto your name and blessings be unto you for giving us another opportunity to acquaint ourselves with you and be at peace. As we have afforded ourselves the opportunity to listen to your word now, everyone listening, I pray, Father, that you would grant to us an acquaintance with yourself and that you would speak words of life to us. Help us to rightly divide the word of truth. And as we look at the topic that we have for today, may it have a deep and solemn experience and impression upon us to the end that we will draw lessons that will bring us to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. That I may know him, January 9, the mystery of sin. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created, till iniquity was found in thee. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14 and 15. It is impossible to explain the origin of sin so as to give a reason for its existence. Yet, enough may be understood concerning both the origin and the final disposition of sin to make fully manifest the justice and benevolence of God in all his dealings with evil. Nothing is more plainly thought in Scripture than that God was in no wise responsible for the entrance of sin. Sin is an intruder, for whose presence no reason can be given. It is mysterious, unaccountable. To excuse it is to defend it. Could excuse for it be found, or cause be shown for its existence, it would cease to be sin. Our only definition of sin is that given in the word of God. It is the transgression of the law. 1 John chapter 3 verse 4 it is the outworking of a principle at war with the great law of love, which is the foundation of the divine government. Sin originated in self-seeking. Lucifer, the covering cherub, desired to be first in heaven. He sought to gain control of heavenly beings, to draw them away from their creator, and to win their homage to himself. Thus he deceived angels. Thus he deceived men. He led them to doubt the word of God and to distrust his goodness. Thus he drew men to join him in rebellion against God and the night of woe settled down upon the world. Sin appeared in the perfect universe. The reason of its inception or development was never explained and never can be, even at the last great day when the judgment shall sit and the books be opened. At that day, it will be evident to all that there is not and never was any cause for sin. At the final condemnation of Satan and his angels, and of all men who have finally identified themselves with him as transgressors of God's law, every mouth will be stopped. When the hosts of rebellion, from the first great rebel to the last transgressor, are asked why they have broken the law of God, they will be speechless. 
there will be no answer to give. Amen. Amen. And I'll say, wow. The title of our devotion for today is The Mystery of Sin. And that's what we're going to look at. Very mysterious indeed, this thing called sin. We've already looked at how it came to earth, but let us see why is sin a mystery? What is the story behind its origin? Let us also see lessons that we can learn as we behold God's dealing with sin and those who brought about sin. Before understanding why sin is a mystery, let us first begin by having a full grasp because we're trying to understand the knowledge of God here, the excellency of the knowledge of God. So we have to not do a superficial study here, but we need to go deep into the word of God. So let's do it together and the Holy Spirit will grant us understanding. So before understanding why sin is a mystery, let's first have a full grasp as God has revealed in the scripture about the origin of sin. We have already seen how that Jesus is the great I am, the eternal God through whom all things in heaven and earth was created, whether angels or principalities or powers. In the book of Hebrews 12 verse 22 and 23, God gives us an understanding of how many these angels are. It says in Hebrews 12 verse 22, But you are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Amen. The angels are innumerable and they vary in strength, position, responsibility, rank and authority. One of the types of angels that God has been pleased to make known to us is the seraphim. In Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 to 3, Isaiah saw them in vision. He said in verse 2, when he saw the glory of God and the temple, he says, and above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Amen. These angels are awesome and mighty. Then, there are those who perhaps are the highest ranking of the angels as far as I can see. They are called the cherubs or cherubims. Let us see what the Bible says about the cherubims. In Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 5 to 10, it says concerning what Ezekiel saw about this, the, in the cherubs, it says, This was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and everyone had four faces, and everyone had four wings, and their feet were straight feet, and the sole of their feet was like the sole, the sole of a cow's foot, and they sparkled like the color of burnished brass, and they had hands of a man under the wings of their four sides, and they, f- and they four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went. They went, everyone, straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, they had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side, and therefore had the face of an ox on the left side. Therefore also had the face of an eagle. In the book of Ezekiel 10, verse 2, he explained that these are cherubs. He, say, he said, it says, And he spake unto the man clothed with linen, and said, Go in between the wheels, even under the cherub, and fill thine hand with coals of fire, from between the cherubims and scattered them over the city, and he went in my sight. Okay, verse 3 says, Now the cherubims stood on the right side of the house when the man went in, and the cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and stood on the threshold of the house, and the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of brightness of the Lord's glory. 
And then it says, And the sound of the cherubim's wings was heard even to the outer court as the voice of the Almighty God when he speaketh. Wow, this is power here. The sound of the wings of the cherubs is like the voice of God. In Luke 1 verse 19, a, a cherub is revealed to us, that is Gabriel. He said he stands in the presence of God. In Psalm 68 verse 17, we are told, says the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them. But among these angels, the ones that are responsible for really being the chariots of God are the, are the cherubs. Second Samuel 22 verse 11 says, God rode upon a cherub and did fly, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. All these angels, whether cherubs or seraphims, they were once united in worshipping Jesus. Like we saw when we looked at our devotion, co-workers in creation, we saw in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 2 to 6, talking about Jesus being the express image of God, being made so much better, verse 4, being made so much better than the angels as he had by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. Verse 5 now says, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he said, And let all the angels of God worship him. And these angels are strong, they worship the Lord. Psalm 103 verse 20 tells us that they are mighty, they excel in strength. And Psalm 148 verse 1 and 2 tells us that these angels praise the Lord. And remember that the Lord being referred to here is who? Jesus Christ. Now, how did sin come into the midst of all these angels? Sin was introduced through one of these high-ranking angels called Lucifer. Isaiah 14 verse 12 to 14 tells us of that account. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High. So Lucifer was one of the cherubs, and we will see that in Ezekiel 28, he stood in the presence of God. We've already seen the cherubs stand in his presence. In Ezekiel 28, Reading from verse 11 down to verse 14, we hear a word given concerning a particular cherub. And this cherub is a rebellious one. Let us read it. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus said the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Remember we saw that yesterday? Eden is the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, oinks, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. And verse 14 now identifies. In case you are thinking this is a man because it says the king of Tyros. No, it's not a man. Verse 14 says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so. Thou was upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Do you remember what we read in the book of Ezekiel? In Ezekiel 10, reading from verse 2, we saw that the cherubs were standing before God and they filled their hands with coals of fire from between the cherubs. 
So the, here we see Lucifer, another cherub here, that is being referred to the son of the morning in the holy mountain, Mount Zion. And he walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. He is the one through whom sin came to the world. Reading from the story of redemption, page 13, paragraph 1, it says, Yet Christ, God's dear Son, had the preeminence over all the angelic hosts. He was one with the Father before the angels were created. Lucifer was envious of Christ and gradually assumed command which devolved on Christ alone. The great creator assembled the heavenly host that he might in the presence of all the angels confer special honor upon his son. The son was seated on the throne with the father and the heavenly throng of holy angels were gathered around them. The father then made known that it was ordained by himself that Christ his son should be equal with himself so that wherever was the presence of his son it was as his own presence. The word of the son was to be obeyed and readily as readily as the word of the father. His son he had invested with authority to command the heavenly host. Especially was his son to work in union with himself in the anticipated creation of the earth and every living thing that should exist upon the earth. His son would carry out his will and his purposes but would do nothing of himself alone. The father's will will be fulfilled in him. This, end of quote. So this is giving us a peek into what happened as to how sin came about. We've already seen in Isaiah chapter 14 how this cherub called Lucifer being perfect as we see in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28 perfect in beauty, full of wisdom, sealing up the sun, made with all kinds of precious stones. He says, every precious stone was thy covering, not some, every one. So this is a beautiful and mighty being here. He is the anointed cherub that stands in the presence of God, but he would not want to give loyalty to, to God. And who is God? Jesus Christ. Reading from Spiritual Gifts, Volume 3, page 36, we are told, Before the fall of Satan, the father consulted his son in regard to the formation of man. They proposed to make this world and create beasts and living things upon it. When Satan learned the purpose of God, he was envious at Christ. This is two times we are reading it. Envy. He was envious at Christ and jealous because the father had not consulted him in regard to the creation of man. Okay, Satan was of the highest order of angels, that's the cherubs. But Christ was above all. He was the commander of all heaven. He imparted to the angelic family the high commands of his father. The envy and jealousy of Satan increased. Until his rebellion, all heaven was in harmony and perfect subjection to the government of God. Satan commenced to insinuate his dissatisfied feelings to other angels, and a number agreed to aid him in his rebellion. Satan was dissatisfied with his position. Although very exalted, he aspired to be equal with God. And unless the Lord gratifies his ambition, determines to rebel and refuse submission, he desires but he dare not at once venture to make known his envious, hateful feelings. But he contents himself with gaining all he can to sympathize with him as though deeply wronged. He relates to them his thoughts of warring against Jehovah. End of quote. Such a terrible thing that this man, this angel did to make war against his own maker. Ezekiel, we're just going to the origin. We've not talked about how it is that sin cannot be explained. In Ezekiel 28 verse 15 to 17, we see what really happened. It says, Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created, till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. 
So in heaven, Satan sinned. That's what the Bible says. He has sinned. And what is sin? There's no other definition of sin than the transgression of God's law, which tells us that for Satan to have sinned in heaven, that means there was a law in heaven. And that's why he's called the lawless one. God said he had sinned. Verse 17, Ezekiel 28, it says, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. So that was the cause of Satan's sin. He got full of himself. Because of the position he was given and the responsibilities he was handling, he, became, he came to think that he should go higher than what he was. He was no longer content. And how many of us have not indulged such feelings in the places where we find ourselves? And we should learn not to be like this. Going on in Spiritual Gifts, Volume 3, page 37, paragraph 1, it says concerning Lucifer, what he did. It says, True faithful angels listening hear the awful threats of Satan and immediately report to their great commander. Christ tells them that he and the Father are acquainted with the purposes of Satan and that they are forbearing only to see how many will unite with him to rebel against the government of God. He tells them that every purpose of Satan is understood. It was the highest crime to rebel against the government of God. All heaven seemed in commotion. The angels were marshaled in companies, each with a higher commanding angel at their head. All the angels were astir. Satan was warring against the government of God because, ambitious to exalt himself and unwilling to submit to the authority of God's Son, heaven's great commander. While some of the angels joined Satan in his rebellion, others reasoned with him to dissuade him from his purposes, contending for the honor and wisdom of God in giving authority to his son. Satan urged, for what reason was Christ endowed with unlimited power and such high command above himself? He stood up proudly and urged that he should be equal with God. He makes his boast to his sympathizers that he will not submit to the authority of Christ. End of quote. So we see what is going on here. This is politics here that the devil is doing, that Lucifer was doing. To think that he was saying that Christ was invested with power, not understanding that Christ had power originally. Not power was given to him, but he has power and life, original, unborrowed, underived. But the humility of Jesus had made Lucifer to think that Jesus was on par with himself, not understanding that this Jesus is God himself, his own creator. And he did not look at him or respect him as creator. How many of us have not been in such situations? And some of us are like that. We are placed in certain positions, whether in an office or in a house. We respect one, maybe the husband of the house, but we don't respect the wife. Why? We have no regard for her. We feel for her to be placed on the same position. I will not respect her. Or in an office, maybe a son of the owner of the place, or whoever it is that has been placed in a particular position, because you despise the person and you think you are better than him, but he has been placed in a position that is your superior, and you feel, I will never submit to this person. That's the spirit of Lucifer there. Reading from the story of redemption, page 16, paragraph 1, to conclude what now happened in heaven, it says, Lucifer refused to listen, and then he turned from the loyal and true angels, denouncing them as slaves. These angels, true to God, stood in amazement as they saw that Lucifer was successful in his effort to incite rebellion. He promised them a new and better government than they then had, in which all would be freedom. Great numbers signified their purpose to accept him as their leader and chief commander. As he saw his advances were met with success, he flattered himself that he should yet have all the angels on his side. 
and that he would be equal with God himself and his voice of authority will be heard in commanding the entire host of heaven. Again, the angels, the loyal angels warned him and assured him what must be the consequences if he persisted, that he who could create the angels could by his own power overturn all their authority and in some signal manner punish their audacity and terrible rebellion. To think that an angel should resist the law of God, which was as sacred as himself. They warned the rebellious to close their ears to Lucifer's deceptive reasonings and advised him and all who had been affected by him to go to God and confess their wrong for even admitting a thought of questioning his authority. End of quote. There's something I want to draw from what I just read. Satan, because he was able to whisper and draw some people to his side, was now flattering himself that he's going to be equal with God. And he was imitating Christ here. Christ has his angels. I have my own. I now have authority. I am like a God now. But I like what the other angels did, the loyal ones, in reasoning with him. Telling the other angels too, don't listen to Satan's reasoning cut off from him and this we will talk about soon but let's just finish with the story first to conclude it it says in spiritual gifts volume 3 page 37 paragraph 3 at length all the angels are summoned to appear before the father to have each case decided satan unblushingly makes known to all the heavenly family his discontent that christ should be preferred before him to be in such close conference with god and he be, infor- be uninformed as to the result of their frequent consultations. God informs Satan that this he can never know, that to his son will he reveal his secret purposes, and that all the family of heaven, Satan not accepted, were required to yield implicit obedience. Satan boldly speaks out his rebellion and points to a large company who think God is unjust in not exalting him to be equal with God and in not giving him command above Christ. He declares he cannot submit to be under Christ's command, that God's commands alone will he obey. Good angels weep to hear the words of Satan and to see how he despises to follow the direction of Christ, the exalted loving commander. What is it that followed? End of quote. So what followed after this? Rebellion? Not, it was not just in words now, but it became physical. Revelation 12 verse 7 tells us, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought. And Michael is Jesus Christ, by the way. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. In the Spiritual Gifts page, volume 3, page 38, paragraph 1, it says, The Father decides the case of Satan and declares that he must be turned out of heaven for his daring rebellion, and that all those who united with him in his rebellion should be turned out with him. Then there was war in heaven. Christ and his angels fought against Satan and his angels, for they were determined to remain in heaven with all their rebellion, but they prevailed not. Christ and loyal angels triumphed and drove Satan and his rebel sympathizers from heaven end of quote so this is the story of the origin of sin god cast the devil out and it is within his character when we want to know the excellency of the knowledge of jesus christ we must understand too that god is a god of mercy and god is also a god of justice he will not allow evil to remain in his presence psalms 101 verse 6 
to verse 8 says mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me he that walketh in a perfect way like the loyal angels he shall serve me he that walketh deceit like satan and his angels shall not dwell within my house he that telleth lies like satan shall not tarry in my sight I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. The excellency of the knowledge of Jesus demands us to understand that we, in imitating him, should realize that when you have workers of deceit around you, liars, they will spoil everyone. Proverbs 22 verse 10 says, Cast out the scorner, and contention shall go out. Yes, strife and reproach shall cease. Discipline is a part of the character of God, and we must understand this. In understanding the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, while we see him as the great I am who has all power, the eternal God which gives eternal life to all, we must understand that he is the God of justice also. Some of us have little moral courage to take action when necessary, and we see God here taking action against the deceiver who deceived the angels in heaven the liar who was by the multitude of his traffic as it says in the book of ezekiel 28 verse 18 thou hast defied thy, thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities god could not allow him to remain and with force took him away this is part of the excellency of the knowledge of jesus christ another thing we should understand is that god is not responsible for sin and sin cannot be explained it's a mystery 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 7 tells us, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. So, sin is a mystery. Like we read in our devotion, uh, That I May Know Him, page 15, paragraph 2. Sin is an intruder for whose presence no reason can be given. It is mysterious, unaccountable. To excuse it is to defend it. Could excuse for it be found or cause be shown for its existence, it will cease to be seen. So, end of quote. So, we can't explain it. And even Jesus explained it that it cannot be explained because when you look at the mystery of godliness we can even explain that one to a little extent and understand it though it's still a mystery but we can at least say that the source of godliness is the creator of heaven and earth jesus christ himself and he created lucifer and all other things so you would expect that since he's the source of godliness all things that come through him will remain righteous and holy how then did sin enter into one whom god created lucifer we know God as the originator of righteousness. But how about Lucifer? Did anybody possess him? To practice righteousness, you must have the Lord possessing you and his spirit. But to practice iniquity, how did it happen? What possessed Satan? Is there some power somewhere, another being that is just as divine as God but in a negative way that possessed him? Did something enter into him that made him to sin? No, there is nothing like that. Jesus said in the book of John 8 verse 44, when speaking to the Pharisees, he said, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Now hear this, he says, When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Wow! That means... Before Satan, there is no liar. He is the originator of it. There is no spirit that possessed him. In other words, unlike the other angels that rebelled, and also all humanity who need an external influence in order to sin, there is no external influence that compels Satan to sin and that compels him to sin. This is why it's a mystery. 
Where did sin come from? Who made the most perfect being that ever came forth from the hand of God to become the most imperfect and sinful of them all, the originator of all evil? It cannot be explained. Satan originated it himself. But how could someone so perfect do that? cannot be explained. He is the father of it. When he sins and tells lies, Jesus said he speaks of his own self. When man sins and lies, he is influenced by Satan and speaks the words of an external influence. But not so with Satan. When he lies, when he sins, he is actually speaking of himself. This is where lies the mystery that one who God testified was the epitome of moral and physical perfection became the definition of immorality and iniquity. It is baffling, it is unexplainable and inexcusable, yet it did happen. It is nothing to us but a mystery. Moving on from the mystery of iniquity, let us also observe that we are almost always displaying the character of Satan. Let us study to find out how we see satanic characters in us and how we can escape it. Remember that we read in the time in Nohim, page 15, paragraph 3. Sin originated in self-seeking. Lucifer, the covering cherub, desired to be first in heaven. He sought to gain control of heavenly beings, to draw them away from their creator and to win their homage to himself. Thus, he deceived angels. Thus, he deceived men. He led them to doubt the word of God and to distrust his goodness. And this thus, he drew men to join him in rebellion against God. And the night of woe settled upon the world. End of quote. So what did we read about Lucifer before? Story of Redemption, page 14, paragraph 1. Lucifer was envious and jealous of Christ. What did it lead him to do? It says in paragraph 2, He left the immediate presence of the Father dissatisfied and filled with envy against Jesus Christ. Now how did he show this envy? He hid it and went saying all kinds of evil things against Jesus. You see, envy is a terrible thing. Reading from Signs of the Times, page um, August 4, 17, 1888, we are told, Envy is one of the most despicable traits of satanic character. It is constantly seeking the lifting up of self by casting slurs upon others. A man who is envious will belittle his neighbor, thinking to exalt himself. The sound of praise is grateful to him who has approbativeness highly developed and he hates to hear the praises of another. Oh, what untold mischief has this evil trait of character worked in our world. The same enmity existed in the heart of Saul that stirred the heart of Cain against his brother Abel because Abel's work were righteous and God honored him and his own works were evil and the Lord could not bless him. Envy is the offspring of pride. And if it is entertained in the heart, it will lead to cruel deeds, to hatred, revenge, and murder. The great controversy between Christ and the Prince of Darkness is carried on in everyday practical life. End of quote. Then again, in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 385, paragraph 1, it says, Envy is one of the most satanic traits that can exist in the human heart. And it is one of the most baleful in its effects. Says the wise man, wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Proverbs 27 verse 4. It was envy that, that first caused discord in heaven, and its indulgence has wrought untold evil among men. Where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. James 3 verse 16. End of quote. Sadly, I would say, I know that many of us may have been victims of envy, but the truth is, those who hold position 
and those who are given high authority or estate are the ones who would most likely understand the feeling of when you have an envious person around you. What is it that causes in envy? Insecurity, low self-esteem, anger, these are things that cause envy. We need to understand the signs typical of envy and jealousy so we can keep it out of our lives. Not to search it in another person alone. It's good to know when you are dealing with an envious person. But many of us need to admit to ourselves that even we have had envy in our hearts and jealousy so that we can know when it is happening and take it away from us. So, how does an envious person behave? For those to, to, signif- to know it among others, you realize that they act very friendly and this is the way to mask their jealousy so they come close to you so they can do you more harm. Envy can be hidden behind friendliness. Envious people want to ruin your relationship with those people you care about. Everyone has a support system, a group of close people that mean so much to you who you can rely on in good times and also in bad times. But what a jealous person will do is that they will try to isolate you from these people and make you lose your friends. This was what Satan was trying to do in heaven, to isolate the angels from Jesus. They are focused on alienating you from as much people as they can within your circle. And how do they do that? They spread misinformation about you. They are delighted to know and speak of your mistakes and your faults. When they cannot find it, they will create one. If they cannot remember anyone, they will point to your traits of character. Because they are insecure, they like to gossip. And they feel more secure and increase their self-esteem by seeing faults in your life. They are competitive. That's how you know an envious person. They are usually competitive. And if you are competitive, know that you are an envious person too. They will do everything to outdo your efforts. They always like to compare themselves with others. They are checking their cloth. How is this person's own? How is my own? How, what did they achieve? I hope I'm achieving as much. And they feel bad whenever they hear the praises of another person. They always compare the person to themselves to the person they envy. They will try to steal the praise of that person because they think that the person doesn't even deserve the praise. They will point out that they do more than that person. They will attribute, when you know somebody is envious, if you just know that, okay, you did something good, they will attribute it to luck. They are not happy with it, so they can't be happy when they hear it. They will never admit that someone has something in and of themselves. Like Satan would not want to admit that Jesus is God, that he, is, he has life in him, original, unborrowed, underived. He will say it is, it is the Father that gave it to him. He doesn't want to realize that Christ himself is God. They will never admit that you, if you see an envious person, they will think, oh, whatever goal you achieved, they won't admit it to your intelligence or your hard work or your skill. They will not congratulate you because they will tell you, you are just lucky. All your achievement, oh, it's because of his father. You know he's from a rich family, but are there not many people from a rich family too who has never gotten successful? They will not acknowledge it and they will treat any good thing you tell them like everyday news is a common thing. They will attribute it maybe to favoritism. Oh, the boss likes her. That's why she got promoted. And oh, he's the close friend to so and so person. That's why he got promoted. They will attribute it to favoritism. Because of envy, it's hard for them to acknowledge that you achieved something good. They will undermine any compliments they hear somebody give you. They just go silent when they hear somebody complimenting you. And they will try to tear down any piece of positive news they hear about you. And one evil thing about envious people, they try to be around you. They want what you have, so they want to know how you got them attention and praise that you have and the affirmation that's what they want for themselves so they want to know secretly what you are doing to get it so that they can imitate you and get it too what did the devil do god has his sabbath satan has his own 
God has his followers, Satan chose to have his own. I will be like the Most High is what he said. He wants to imitate him. And that's what envious people do. They try to be around you since they want what you want. So they have to find out how to get it. They will also try to imitate your success. Thereby, they will be mirroring you. One other evil trait about envious people is they dig around to get information about you. They follow you on social media. They want to see how you spent your time, how your relationship is with this person and with that person and with this man and with that lady. They want to hear bad things so they can use it against you. Or they like to hear obstacles in your lives because they take pleasure in it. That's the reason they are following you. Sometimes they share rumors about you. And why do they do that? Just to harm you. They rejoice in your failure and that's why there's no love in envy. Love rejoices in good. It never rejoices in evil. They are happy and gleeful to see your failure. They have trouble hiding it. Even when they just when they see your failure, they can't even pretend. They are happy. Maybe you lose a loved one. They will call you and be laughing. They can't even hide it. Maybe you had one bad thing that happened to you. They will come close to you pretending to care for you. But you see in them that they are bubbling. They are so happy. They are so excited about the fact that they are near you at a time when you are in your lowest point. Worst of all, they can pretend to be there to comfort you, but they will use the opportunity to give you bad advice or get more secret information which they will use to hurt you. And then they find more pleasure in spreading the information of your pain. That's just terrible. They scrutinize and criticize your work. They give, they give you a different standard from that which they give others. Why? Because that's what the devil does. But the devil to be judged, he's the accuser of the brethren. He creates standards that don't exist to create fault in our lives that don't exist. And that's what an envious person does. They will scrutinize you and criticize your work just so that they can feel more powerful than you. They will pay close attention to everything you do. The plan is to find some mistake in what you have done. And then they will have an opportunity to correct you in public. And they get pleasure from that. It makes them feel good. They love it when you make a mistake. But then it is even better to be there when you made the mistake so that they can just point it out. And then for them, Christmas has come very early. They love to embarrass you in public. They hate you. They despise you because you have what they have. They crave their attention and because they don't get it, they detest you. They attach their self-esteem to the things that they have or the things that they don't have. They disrespect your decisions or they undermine it. And this is done in order to stop you from getting ahead of them. So maybe you say, oh, I'm in a relationship with this person. You say, are you sure that person is a good person? In their mind, it's because they don't want you to succeed. I got this job in so-and-so place. Oh, that place that is not good, that this and that happens. Oh, I'm traveling to so-and-so place. I want to stay in this place. That's where my house is. I just built a house there. Oh, are you sure that house is good enough in that area? That place I heard that they used to rob very well there and this and that. They just give all kinds of negatives. I'm not saying everybody who says that is envious of you. But that is what an envious person does nevertheless. Another thing is that in order to find something to complain about you, they hold you by a much higher standard than others. Maybe at work when a mistake is done by any other person, it will be silently corrected overlooked. But a mistake you made will be made of a big deal and the whole workplace will know about it. They are thrilled to let everyone know that you made a mistake. These are just some signs of envy and when I think in my mind about it, I am... I just wonder, may the Lord deliver us from these characters. And when you see yourself doing that, be careful. Rejoice in the joy of others. Submit. Be happy. Have the mind of Christ. Christ is not envious. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5, 6 there tells us, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who taught it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Jesus is willing to leave his position for us to take angels are willing to leave their position for us to take it they're not envious and we should have that spirit and not be envious what was the result of satan's envy it led him to whispering and separating friends 
Proverbs 16 verse 28, a froward man sowed strife and a whisperer separated chief friends. What was the result of Satan's whispering? Both in heaven and on earth, it bred mistrust and coldness. Even Adam and Eve, when they listened to Satan's whispering of God, when God came down, what did they do? They ran away. They marred their relationship with God that they could not stay in Eden anymore. So also the angels in heaven that mistrusted God, they went away from him because of the false coloring they put to God's character. One of the things God hates, Proverbs 6 verse 19, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. But in Proverbs 14 verse 25 we are told, a true witness delivereth souls, but a deceitful witness speaketh lies. In the knowledge of God, we have to understand that we should abhor envy and we should love that which is good and we should exemplify the character of Christ, self-sacrificing love that will elevate others and not think too much of ourselves. I pray that the Holy Spirit will lay these things to our hearts. Help us to know when we are, envy- we are envious because it happens to us. The devil brings envious thoughts to our minds. And rebuke that devil when he brings those thoughts. And when you see those who are like that, you have to be very careful of them. May the Lord give us grace. Let us pray. Thank you, dear Father, for the words that we have heard. May these words be so impressed on our hearts to transform our characters to be like that of our Lord Jesus. Take away from us envy, jealousy, sin that cannot be explained, the mystery of it. Lord, we do not want to come to a place where in the last day, in the judgment, you ask us, why have you transgressed my law? And we will have nothing to say. Help us today to be delivered from the transgression of God's law. To walk in the way of righteousness. To love righteousness and hate evil. To do what is right in your sight. Give us power to overcome our sins. Thank you, dear Lord, for hearing the national prayers. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This message was brought to you by the Angel with a Strong Voice, a ministry dedicated to preparing people to stand true to God and be ready for His imminent return. For more information and free online resources, please visit www.tawas.org. That is www.tawasv.org or contact info at tawas.org.